Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. So let me ask this man about it. Y'all can hear him right here, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on 126. He is the host of, of course, the Reverend Al Sharpton Show, both on Urban View and also let me find out about MSNBC too. I got a bunch of questions about that. And he's got a new documentary coming out called Loudmouth, December 9th. It will be in the theaters. In the theaters. I think it's a John Legend production. Let me welcome to the show the Reverend Al Shopton. <laughs> How are you on? doing, Nick? Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm concerned as everybody uh, trying to see who's turning out where and what happens. This is a very, very crucial day. We say that every midterm election, but given where we are with uh, the insurrectionists and the people that are just outright for the overthrow of the government, uh, this is a particularly a very, very important year. Yeah, this this could be the year where, you know, uh, it all goes to hell, literally, yeah. uh, where uh, no more fair elections. They'll just overturn everything. And, you know, I think at that point we're going go, going to go back to a civil war. Maybe it'll be a cold one, but I think we, we definitely are in uh, on, on the precipice of that. I just mentioned, you know, rappers and other people, Ice Cube and other people ringing in and they wait until the last minute, you know, to come in and be agents of chaos. What are, you, what are your thoughts on folk that are supporting like Governor Kemp, like Mike, Mike, you know, Render in Georgia during this particular very crucial election cycle? You know, I, I, it is certainly troubling. They have the right to do it, but it doesn't mean they're right to do it. When you look at what the policies that a Kemp has represented, clearly uh, rolling back voter accessibility, targeting the black community. I don't know how you support that. Uh, I mean, let's not forget, Kemp closed down voting sites. Kemp supported the Georgia legislature in redrawing lines that would have cost congressional districts. So you can, at one hand, say that you're for empowering the community with your music and your rap, and then support someone whose public policies are the opposite of that. Uh, Abbott in uh, Texas, the same thing. Now, I do understand, and in the case of T.D. Jakes, that they had better O'Rourke there one Sunday and Abbott the other, so I don't know if he endorsed Abbott, but I do know that some of these rappers and hip-hop artists have endorsed Kemp, have endorsed Caruso over... Uh, uh, Karen Bass. Yeah. yeah, and uh, with Karen Bass in, in L.A. And again, if your rap is empowerment and your rap is about, you know, policing and all of that, then how does your endorsement become incongruous with your rap? So I'm not asking you to, to do what I do. I'm asking you to do what you claim you do. And the inconsistency only makes it suspect as to why you do it. Is it? Is it your responsibility as a pastor, because I'm thinking about T.D. Jakes, to to uh, have both sides when both sides are not equal? I mean, you know, to have Beto O'Rourke there one Sunday and then bring in, I mean, it's 
Because we know what we know. It's not even, to me, a question. It's not about being fair at this point. This is not about fair. We're not talking about two equal parties that just happen to have different political ideology. You know, one's fiscally sound and the other one, you know, is for more spending. This is about people who would undermine the election of, of a, you know, elected president and say he wasn't really elected. Sit back while police officers ran for an hour and let some jerk some evil person kill a bunch of children and teachers and then support like willy nilly gun laws that allow for this to happen again. I mean, I don't think these sides are equal. I mean, where's the moral. Hmm. Do I, more. I, don't, I don't know that, that he is saying they're equal. I think that some churches uh, have to deal with the 501 C three status that if they give one side access, they have to give the other or they can jeopardize their tax status. But again, I wasn't there. I've not seen the videotape. I just know one was there one Sunday, the other was there another Sunday, the next Sunday, and I don't know what was said. Okay. Uh, I have a five hundred one c four with Nash Action Network, so we can advocate. So the reason why a lot of right wingers don't come to my Saturday rallies is because I can say straight out that they have done the policies you said. A five hundred one c three has to be touchy. I have to be touch on. Oh, I like that. I didn't. So I didn't know. So what does the 501 C4, does it give you tax breaks still, but you now have the, the right to. Uh, it gives you where you don't have to pay taxes, uh, but people don't get a tax deduction given to you, but you can take positions on policies, on uh, political programs, all of that. You cannot endorse. I cannot say vote for Karen, but I can say that the things Karen stands for is ABCD, which I support and her opponent is for, you know, the things you said, whereas a 501c3 doesn't supposed to get into anyone or anything like that. They're just okay. a charity and you get tax deductions when you give to them. As, as a civil rights leader, you know, the church used to be the centerpiece of organization and strategy building. And a lot of the pastoral leaders were at the forefront of, you know, the political changes that did happen during the fifties and sixties in this country. Uh, a lot of them led the charge in the NAACP and it was all these organizations that came together. And I feel now we've lost a lot of that, you know, with there are very few places where we can go and trust that actual action is going to happen. What do you tr- contribute or attribute to the erosion of the power that once, you know, you know, where, where the church was the center? I think that uh, your assessment is right. I think that the church still has significant gathering power, but has not used it in a uh, in a socio-political way. And I think a lot of that was at some point uh, 15, 20 years ago, we started to see a major shift where the church went into prosperity ministries and material gain. And in many ways, it's the same thing happened to the music world. The church and the music world went into materialism and trinkets and prosperity uh, uh, ministries and prosperity music. So we went from struggling to uh, uh, Get Rich and Doc uh, Trying, which was a rap song, but it became some of the church's model. And I think rather than deal with the advancement of the whole, which was the, the theology and practice of the black church uh, from the inception of the black church when we came out of slavery all the way to the 70s and 80s. 
it began in this individualism and it was about me, me and I, I, rather than the collective. Even though we had people that were successful, they were part of the whole. The sense of community and community advancement was uprooted. And I think it not only weakened the church, it weakened the community. Because once we started going for the individual rather than the collective, they could pick us off one by one and do what they wanted to. And then it went into not in, uh, embracing other movements like misogyny, the women's movement, or LGBTQ rights, like uh, people's uh, right to their own lifestyle. Even though we always knew gay people, we tried to act like there was some anathema there. So I think that we allowed the conservative right wing to play us off in prosperity and then drop our social programs and act like people that were asking for fairness were beggars when they was only asking for equality. And some of us still are. Facts. I'm going to play a clip. Uh, and we're talking with Reverend Al. Of course, you can hear him on 126 right here after my show. Um, he's also on MSNBC on the weekends. Uh, and he's got a new uh, documentary featuring him, featuring him called Loudmouth, which will come out in theaters December 9th. I'm going to play a clip from Ben Carson with trepidation. This is my, my word for the day. Uh, uh, former HUD secretary. Go ahead, play it, Smith. I want to thank Herschel for being willing to get in this because I can tell you from personal experience for the left, the only thing worse than Satan is a black conservative. <laughs> so we got Herschel Walker, who probably is brain damaged, running for the Senate, and is is it's a toss up. We don't know who's gonna win tonight. <laughs> it may not know for a week because it's that close. Maybe a run I like it's ridiculous. You got Ben Carson out there, Lindsey Graham out there, Ben Carson talking about the only thing uh more more the the, the Democrats fear more than Satan himself is a conservative black man. Most black people are conservative, Rev. Most of us have conservative values Absolutely. and views. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and first of all, take the root word, conserving what? Most of us want to conserve family structures and things that are considered conservative. What they're trying to do is disrupt what has happened. It was not uh, uh, the Black community that wanted to overturn affirmative action, which they just went to the Supreme Court last week and did 50-year history. Uh, and that was started by a black Republican, Arthur Fletcher, under the Nixon administration. It was not uh, black people that wanted to uh, undo Roe versus Wade, 50-year law. I mean, they have come, led by Donald Trump, uh, to disrupt what has become law and common in this country for half a century. So they're not conservatives, they're insurrectionists. And they will turn around, they will demonize people like me, believe nonviolent marches for George Floyd or Ahmed Aubrey, and then excuse violent insurrectionists on the Capitol building of the United States in January 6th. So uh, hypocrisy is too mild a word for them. So what do we do? And for you, Reverend Al, what, what, has, what has been the most frustrating process in the last let's say 10 years for you the most frustrating or most surprising shocking um set of occurrences not just trump being elected but 
I feel like there's a, a a real frustration as we get gerrymandered out of power. It was apartheid states all over the country. And now there's this bolstering of, you know, power among people to just deny folk and lie about it and say that this election is not, you know, is not legitimate. And I feel like they're going to be violent uh, as well. What what recourse do we have to? I think that our only recourse is that we must be determined to go ahead and take whatever they're going to throw and keep fighting. I think the uh, we have no choice but to use the voting as well as uh, mass protest, as well as whatever we can uh, mobilize on local levels to keep fighting. I think the most frustrating thing for me is on one hand, people just surrendering and saying we can't do anything and no struggle, no movement, whether it was the fight against segregation, whether, you, you know, it took, Rosa Parks sat down in front of the bus and, pro, and, uh, and and defied the segregation laws December 1st, 1955. Then the Civil Rights Act of 64. Struggles take time. Wow. Women's movement took time. And I think that we have these microwave activists that if they couldn't get something done in, in three months, they go on to something else. And that's been frustrating because those of us that got in the trenches and and dealt with the George Floyd case, Ahmed Opry case and all. And I'm talking about all this in the last two years, had to deal with people that would jump in front of what was going on, say provocative stuff and gone. And when it was time for us to try to make that law and to deal with putting pressure on Manchin and, and Cinema about Philip Buss, they were gone. And, and you and I have talked about this uh, before years ago, and, and it continues to be the case that it's almost every time you have a major uh, incident that you try to make it part of the struggle, you get a new level of, no, we're the new breed, and they're gone. So the new breed that was there with Trayvon is a different new breed when it was Michael Brown and a different new breed when it was Eric Garner. We're not looking for recording artists. We're looking for people that will do long-distance struggle. And that's been very frustrating to me to say to people. Luckily, we have a lot of young people in National Action Network and other groups that understand that. But this is not about trending on social media. This is not about how many likes you can get. This is about can we change laws and then enforce those laws. That's what made the 60s the 60s. And without that, we're talking about nothing. So when we couldn't get the George Floyd bill through, we went back to President Biden and said, okay, do what you can in executive order, which he did sign. You got to make real change. And real change is not increasing your likes on social media. Facts. Reverend Al Sharpton is here. Uh, keeping it real with Reverend Al Sharpton, 6 p.m. Eastern on Urban View weekdays. Um, we, we had a town hall a few years ago, and now Loudmouth is coming out next month. What is going to be in this documentary that we don't know? I feel like we know everything. Al on America, if you want to read that book, we did that 100 years ago. Uh, when you were running for president, what is going to be in this documentary that we don't already know? Well, uh, it's going to be a lot that you didn't know because some stuff I saw I didn't uh, had not seen. Uh, John Legend and uh, his team came and said they wanted to do a documentary on me and uh, the activism I did and how the media covered it from the 80s till now. And they had footage that I had never seen of me at 16 leading marches. And uh, I knew I did it, but I'd never seen the footage. They had footage of me and my mother. They had footage wow. of me and Jane. 
And they go into also the footage of how reporters would say, who is Al Sharpton? And then they would show they had in their own archives things that I had done since my teenage year. But the real thing I think people did not see, they do the actual footage in the 80s when we were marching in Howard Beach uh, community in Queens that had killed a black guy for being in the neighborhood. Then three years later, uh, uh, the Michael Stewart and then, and then Yusef Hawkins. Right. And where they showed actual footage of people saying the N-word and get out of here and throwing watermelons at us. A lot of people have not seen that in the North. They act like that was something in the South. And if you see that and understand that this was the New York that created a Donald Trump and a Rudy Giuliani, and the people that we've shown, we got three screenings before it goes in the movies. People were saying, I never knew this happened in New York. I'm talking about people from Chicago. We did one screen in Chicago, one in Martha's Vineyard, and then Robert De Niro did one at Tribeca. You will not understand Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani until you understand Queens and where they came from. And they were older than me at this time. And I think that that is why it's so timely. Now, I'm just uh, the figure they use, but they give a whole story of Northern racism. Mm. Mm, that's powerful. Loud Mouth. Who came up with that title? They did. You know I didn't, but they said <laughs> that they wanted to. They wanted to call it Loud Mouth because that's how they tried to dismiss me, and I turned it into a positive. And I told them, as I told Karen Hunter in 2003 when we did Out on America, that I was unlike most civil rights leaders that got national before me. I was not from the South. I was from New York. So I had to compete with Broadway lights and Broadway theaters and the Statue of Liberty and Times Square that never closed. You had to be loud in New York. You couldn't just send out a press release and get attention. You had to be loud. You had to do things that was dramatic and nonviolent. Otherwise, in New York, you didn't matter. There were so many distractions. If I was in Selma, a press release might have got. If I was in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, a sermon might have got it. But in New York, you had to be nonviolently disruptive for them to even pay attention. And that's what this film documents and shows how we did it. So the bullhorns, the gold chains, the tracksuits, the hair, the, all of that, that uh, definitely centered you. Tawana Brawley, is that going to be cent central all in this? It goes through how Raleigh, they said, was a hoax, why I believed in what I did and what I didn't do. All of that's in there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How does it end? Where does it, it ends it, is it? I'm still marching. It ends with the march that we did a year and a half ago in Washington in the middle of the pandemic with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, uh, Ahmed Arbery, all their families with me. And we had 200,000 people in the middle of a pandemic. It shows I'm still doing what I always did. Despite the fact I have a show uh, on MSNBC now 11 years, despite the fact that I, I catch up the crumbs when Karen Hunter finishes on radio, I'm still out there marching too. Uh, speaking of MSNBC, last week, Tiffany Cross, uh, they didn't renew her contract. Um, I know you're, you're outspoken. Um, you're not, you're not uh, worried about your check. Do you know what happened and was it fair? Because there's a lot of backlash I, I, right I now. I really don't know. I know that there's discussions going on. Uh, I love Tiffany and I have respect for Rashida Jones, the president. 
And uh, I do not want to see uh, us get into where we are disruptive of any black women that have to rise and deal in this climate. And because I'm in some discussions with some of those that uh, have uh, wanted to talk with Rashida Jones and see where uh, this thing is, it, it came from and going, I don't want to betray those kind of conversations other than say I have a lot of respect for both women involved. And I think that uh, uh, we will know more as these discussions keep okay. going. I just hate that um, it's always, and it seems like it's always that way, that it's one of us doing it. Like, like th- at some point we should get, we have to recuse ourselves. You want to, you want do your own dirty work. Don't, don't send me in there. I'm not doing it. I don't care what my position is. You're not, I'm not going to ever fire a black woman. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. Y'all going to have to do that yourselves. And if it means me getting fired, like I feel like that's what it's going to take Reverend now, but no one has the fortitude to do that. It appears. Well, I think, I think again, we'll know more as it goes. I okay. can say that uh, she is a strong person and, uh, uh, and I've seen her under fire, but I think, you know, Tiffany, I know well, Tiffany's do my show right on yep. every Tuesday. And uh, I think that her talent needs to be something that we respect and maintain. Okay. All right. Say, say more, but say less loud mouth. In theaters, December 9th. And, of course, you can listen to him right here on Urban View. Keeping it real with Reverend Al Sharpton weekday, 6 p.m. Eastern, and on MSNBC on the weekends. Thank you for, for coming through today. I appreciate you. Thank you. On election day, wouldn't be no better place than with you, Karen. Oh, appreciate that. Uh, All right. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.